Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Dominic Fifield of The Guardian. The club season ended in the grand manner with Cristiano, a champion in Cardiff. Let's be honest, international football can't match that for drama, intensity and quality, even when England play Scotland at Hamden in a World Cup qualifier. Well, that game's just gone under the radar, hasn't it, John? It does seem like that. I do think it's partly, though, to do with the fact that we're, in, we're approaching sort of mid-June. Mm. I mean, it just seems remarkable to me that we have so many rows and issues about the fixture backlog and kind of too many games. And here we are, it's in my mind, sort of approaching the sort of sacred non-football month of June. <laughs> we all need a break. And, and basically, we're going into World Cup qualifiers this weekend and, and then prolonging it even further with a, with a friendly in France. I still feel that interna- I love international football in that basically when we reach a tournament, then I think that, that, that it excites the nation and I still think that. And I think fair play to UEFA from FIFA. They have tried to reinvent it a little bit with the week of football and trying to mix things up a little bit and I like that. I think that's a clever bit and I think there's some good sort of spread of fixtures this weekend and this week. But I just think that England-Scotland will... I think it will just grip us a little bit towards the end of the week because I still think it's a nice fixture I think it's a good fixture you know I've sort of kind of because we've played them recently and kind of qualifiers and friendly and it just strikes me that actually when the game kicks off there will still be a degree of passion pressure on England because they're expected to win but I do still think it conjures up for me a little bit of magic and I can't wait, but you're absolutely right. It does seem like an afterthought. Mm, it does seem... Let's look at Gareth Southgate. You know, he talked last week about you know, the importance of pride playing for your country, representing 60 million people. But does that wash with a modern professional who's got you know, a club contract to adhere to, very little time in terms of you know, recovery periods? As you said, we're in the middle of June and they're going to be back doing global tours by the middle of July. So does does international football matter to the people who play it? I think the only way you can gauge that is by the number of dropouts from the squads. And with England, touch where we haven't had any yet. Um, and, and that suggests to me that there is a passion still there to, to play for your country. Um, and that Southgate is 
is galvanising that enthusiasm within a quite a young squad. I mean, it is, it is quite a young team, this England side, um, which I, I think is is a, is a positive. I, I I think this is a game to get the juices flowing. I, I think come Friday we will be concentrating on England Scotland and thinking this is a this is a fantastic fixture um, and actually a a good way to end the season. What what gets me and infuriates me is then we have to go to Paris next week. I know I know that sounds daft. <laughs> going to Paris is lovely, but but why are they playing that game? What is he going to learn from that? Because I think there will be a succession of dropouts after mm. after the game against Scotland on Saturday. I don't see any value in that in that France fixture at all, other than maybe for fulfilling a, a, an obligation to have a friendly over there, which we must have made with the FFF uh, in recent years. Um, I don't think he'll learn anything from that. But look, I like Southgate's rhetoric. I think everything he said pretty much since he came into the job has been impressive and marks him out as a manager of, of some weight at, at this level. Mm. Let's hope that he, um, he he maintains that out with his with his team out on the pitch. Yeah, he's impressed me a lot in in terms of. He is of the system, if you like. You know, he's, he's gone through the age groups, he's studied that. He is invested, as Dom said, in a lot of young talent. And I can see that becoming almost like a deliberate strategy, really. Are you impressed by the way that he's handled what can a job which can eat people up, basically? I am. I do think that he, that was his biggest fear as well. I think whether it kind of completely overtake him and kind of just take over his world and his life family life, everything standing, because it's amazing, really, because you've gone from Gareth Southgate, the former England player, associated with kind of Crystal Palace, I always associated with Middlesbrough manager, and kind of you've then suddenly got, you know, I mean, the, the, the Football Writers Association, end of, end of dinner. It was just like, basically, he just sort of kind of came over to talk to people, and as soon as he did that, you'd have this sort of kind of ten deep, queue of people looking for his autograph and I mean funny but a year ago he just wouldn't have that would you and it's just completely changed what got me about world. the FWA dinner was that Gareth Southgate usually at the beginning of a, of a meal like that end of season celebration he would get a mention in the in the sort of yeah. preamble oh we also got the England manager present tonight he didn't no he just no sat you're on right. an outline table and yeah. just was was just another member yeah. of the audience, which I thought was was brilliant. And yeah. I think I think that's that's refreshing when it comes to Gareth. Yeah. And, and not to... not many England managers would actually go along to that sort of thing. And he's yeah. blended in. Mm. I think he's conducted himself brilliantly in press conferences. It's interesting. We were talking about the pride and the passion of of, of playing for the country and, and the sort of Southgate soundbite. So so there we are at St George's Park last week, and it was you know he'd, he'd done this sort of the main TV press conferences it is, and then he goes and speaks to us, the sort of the, the national dailies. And he always gives this incredible time. It must have been, I don't know, 25 minutes, half an hour. And we're sort of grilling him on sort of Wayne Rooney and sort of Marcus Rashford. He's done an incredible U-turn on Mar Marcus Rashford. If you know, is that the right thing to do? Yeah, ultimately, I do think it is, really, if you look at the circumstance. But it's in totally out of kilt with what, you know, kilter really, with what he said previously, is mm. when he was England under-21 manager. The players need to go with the tournament um, and should get tournament experience. And now here he is saying, well, Welcome Rashford... Welcome to the real world. Exactly, yeah. Rashford needs a rest. And he's right, he does need a rest. But it's just, it go, it flies in the face with everything that he stood for and that probably A.D. Boothroyd actually thinks. But right at the end of that, there, there was a question thrown in you know, basically, what does it mean? And it was like we were going at him, going at him. What does it mean to kind of, you know, does, he, does international football still matter? Why does England still matter? And I just felt, in a way, he, he could have gone, oh, you know, and kind of just kind of, really? You know, sort of at the end of a press conference where he's asking totally different things 
And and he actually turned, he turned and he thought about it, and then he said the pride and the passion, and then he said how much it means to to represent. And you really, it wasn't an empty soundbite. You really mm. felt that he meant it, and he wasn't paying lip service, and it means something to him. And I like the way that he's kind of brought through those youngsters from the under twenty ones as set up, and they will come through into the seniors knowing they can rely on Gareth Southgate, knowing that Southgate will give them a chance. Look how he's done for Butland. I, mm. I actually think Butland must be a shout for England's number one mm. by the time of the 2018 World Cup, by the time we kick off in Russia. Mm. I really do, because Southgate likes to bring players through. He brings them through his way. He actually embeds them in the sort of the pride and the passion that you must have to play for your country, and it's great. He, it's interesting, you speak to the young players and at all levels. He basically did a presentation to them mm-hmm. where he talked about his career and the, the mental strength that you need to you know, withstand the lows and also, also withstand the highs, funnily enough. And he's spoken about the need for players to take responsibility for their own action. And at lower levels, you, what you've got is a system where there, there is a players group of four or five senior players within that group who set the standards for the group. So, in other words, you know, we will, we'll, we're on Lombardi time. You know, we turn up five minutes early for everything. There is you know, certain standards. You know, you don't just throw your kit on the floor. You give it to the kit man. That is what he's doing behind the scenes, isn't it? Yeah, and he's cultivating that that spirit and and a core of players who potentially could be together with England for, what are we, four, six, mm. eight years? I mm. mean, there are so many young players of, of proper calibre, proper pedigree in there, who could be the mainstays of, of this team for, for, for a substantial length of time. And that was always really what he was going to bring. I mean, he's a sensible, sensible man. Um, he, he has a strategy, a plan. He's emotionally intelligent as well, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, and, he, and that comes across whenever he speaks in public. And imagine it's the same in the dressing room and, and that, that rubs off on, on the players as well. He's made some big decisions since he came in. I mean, the Rooney decision is huge. Successive managers have, have looked at that and shied away from, that, yeah. from, from having to deal with it. And, and, and then Gareth Southgate comes in, you know, the rookie manager, really, mm-hmm. and happily makes that decision and, and gladly does. And, and, and it is the right time for that decision to be right, a key, key moment like that, because he, has, he doesn't want to stunt the development of, of the Delhi Alleys, your Harry Canes, and, and I think that's, that's key. And, you know, I think it's progressive. I think everything about it has been progressive so far. You know, we, we can have our quibbles. We can, we can quibble over, you know, what he did maybe with, with Zaha. I know I'm, I'm echoing mm. that every time, but it still gets to me that, that he isn't part of this England setup anymore. But I think... Overall, Southgate's been refreshingly intelligent with everything he's done. It seems interesting that he's, he's given Eric Dyer his head. He's almost mm. the brain of that England team, got the versatility that he's looking for. Is that any coincidence that here's someone who's been schooled outside the system, you know, with his background in Portugal? Yeah, I think it's a very good point. I think he's, he's become a sort of this all-round footballer, hasn't he, in, in his kind of uh, development, and he's been very comfortable... You speak to Eric Dyer and he's really intelligent and he's a very interesting interview. He's, he's very open, strong-minded he's because he basically Absolutely. refused to the, play for the under-21s, didn't he? Absolutely, and I, th- I actually thought that that was quite a big issue, which he's dealt with mature, you know, in, in his own mind and, and made it clear that actually I wanted to stay at Spurs and kind of work on my own game rather than actually waste but kind of go away with, with England for two weeks and kind of 
it was a difficult time actually for him at Spurs because he was still sort of kind of developing and kind of I think he wanted to sit and work with his game, didn't he? And it's, it shows an amount of maturity. Look, I for one actually think it's quite a big thing to turn your back on your country and kind of I get into this tub thumping mode and I'm not sure whether it's the right thing to do and kind of I was surprised that not more was made of it at the time. But actually, then if you if you look at what's happened since. You argue it's right, really, and he, he has evolved. But the way that, again, that Dyer and Southgate dealt with that when he was back in the squad and back at the forefront mm. um, shows shows a great deal of maturity, particularly, I think, from Dyer. And now Dyer, I, I think, his, his weak position is centre-half. Yeah, He's a holding midfielder. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What about you know, the development process of, of England players? You know, you've done a story recently, John, about Rhys Oxford, going away from West Ham to Borussia Mönchengladbach for a season. Nathan Baker's done very well when he's gone from Chelsea into Holland. And, and I think that Southgate will bring Nathan Baker through into the senior side. He, he speaks really Lewis highly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Lewis Baker, yeah. beg your pardon. When you've got that type of modern player who's actually schooled abroad, does that actually make a difference? It can do, definitely. And Dyer obviously is the example of that. But... It's, I think it's, it's a big decision for a player to make, and it often it really depends upon whether they think they can get anywhere near their first team in, in, at their Premier League club. Mm. Reece Oxford clearly wasn't going to get into the West Ham team. Uh, Lewis Baker was nowhere near Chelsea. And, and, and in fairness, I don't quite know where Lewis Baker goes next. I mean, I, I, I can't see him jumping ahead of Izzy Brown anymore um, back at Chelsea. So quite quite where his next step is remains to be seen. Um, but there are... I mean, Mandela Egbo went over to Borussia Mönchengladbach mm. and is now being schooled over there. And I think he will he will come back uh, an intelligent player. Um, and hopefully a Premier League club will reap the benefit of that in the future. And certainly the England set-up should. Definitely. I mean, look, it, it never hurts to widen your horizons, does it? it, it it's, it's, it's something that we don't do very well in this country, and particularly with the younger players. And of all the criticisms that levelled, say, at the Chelsea loan system and, and their academy sending out their players, the fact that some of them are going over to Vitesse Arnhem and benefiting from playing in a different environment and different league, new surroundings, I think that can be beneficial. Whether it is for Chelsea long-term, I'm not sure, in terms of them getting into the first team, financially mm. it might be, but in terms of those kids' development, yeah, definitely it'll help. In, on that Chelsea note, Tammy Abraham mm. did terrifically well at Bristol City. Yeah. Looks like he's got a choice between Newcastle and Brighton for yeah. a full season loan next season. Yeah. If you're advising him, where does he go? Um, I think oh, it's a tricky one because I, I do think that Chris Hewton and Brighton are probably a, a better fit in terms of the, the level of club for him to go to, the next progression up. But actually he might benefit from more opportunities in terms of goal-scoring opportunities in a Newcastle team that are probably going to be slightly more expansive and probably be able to compete um, slightly better in the Premier League next year than Brighton. Look, I don't want to take anything away from what Brighton achieved this year because it's magnificent, their promotion, but I can see next year being a bit more of a, a struggle for them and they'd like to play one up. And whether Tammy Abraham will be that one, I'm not so sure. At Newcastle, there will be opportunities for them to play two up. And whether that's, you know, with, with a Dwight Gale or with, you know, they'll, they'll invest more money, won't they, as mm. well. It might help him 
and allow him to express himself slightly easier if he's had a Newcastle team that will be slightly more expansive. And this isn't derogatory against Brighton, but he's actually at a bigger club, and also he's at a club which is at the centre of its community. You know, he'll be in the goldfish bowl, won't he? Well, yeah, definitely, that, that, is, that is an aspect of it. Look, Brighton is the same. Brighton as a city are galvanised by going into the Premier League and mm. their support will be something else next year, 30,000 every week at the yeah. Amex, um, every other week, rather. It's a massive test for Tammy Abraham, how, how he takes that next level, because we, with the greatest of respect, we've seen Patrick Bamford score 20-odd goals in in the Championship, albeit in a team that was challenging nearer the top of the table. Bristol City was a struggle mm. last year. But Bristol City, I think, were more of an attacking team, so they went for it, and therefore he got the opportunities. Now, stepping up into the Premier League, where he, maybe he, he might start 15 games next season at either of those clubs, mm. and, and the rest of them are going to be sub-appearances, Let's see how, how well he does. Let's see whether he can contribute, let's say, six to ten goals. And if he does, if he gets, ten, if he gets double figures at either of those clubs, then that's a major achievement. Mm. It's a game of patience, isn't it, John? Let's look at Kieran Trippier. You expect him to make his England uh, debut this mm. week. Just talk a little bit about him, about how he's fitted in very quickly once it became pretty clear that Carl Walker was uh, on his way. Well, I think his involvement has been has been incredible, really, this season. Because I just think at first, when when he got in, you'd say, "Oh, I'm not sure about him, really." Um, and it's amazing what Pochettino does for players. He gives them this confidence and the belief. Whereas I always felt that Trippier in the past had been kind of almost playing within himself, not actually truly believing. And I think the biggest thing that you can always say about Pochettino and the way that he develops players is given that platform and say, "Go on." You, you know, you've got my back in. And honestly, if you speak to players, they will tell you, you know, Pochettino believes in me and he's got this incredible warmth and connection. Mm. And I actually think that's the biggest factor in his development. But I think what he's done this season is he, he said, OK, I'm going to sort of really have this and grasp this opportunity to go and, you know, take on Walker. It's clearly annoyed Walker <laughs> and Walker's lost his way as a result. What I'd say about Trippier is that he's a far superior crosser. Mm. Uh, of a football than, than than Walker, but the one thing that gets me about it and would concern me is that Trippier and Trippier has been at his best in my view. I'm sure there'd be more development, but he's played really really well, and yet still doesn't have the pace and the power of Walker. How long has Walker got that left for? Because he's what 26, and but at the moment I still think that a fully firing and proper, you know, informed Carl Walker would still be first choice in, in my team over Trippier. Yeah. But I think Trippier needs to, to develop, but he just hasn't got quite that zip, I think, and that would, I would say, be the flaw. But there's no doubt about it. He's, a, as a crossing fullback, he's right up there. Mm. As an incidental, do you expect uh, Walker to end up at City? Yes. I just think it's a matter of time. I mean, Tottenham, I think, you know, I mean, they'd never admit this, but they're absolutely resigned to it. The only point left now How is much? driving the fee. Well, absolutely. <laughs> Look, I think they're kind of talking to someone, like, you know, sort of last week, and they were thinking, oh, it should be beginning with a four. But you see some of the p prices that are paid already mm. should be beginning with a five. That's the thing. And Walker, I, th I think Spurs, that is great business for Spurs because if they can get Walker out and bring Trippier in and develop and push on Trippier, even though I still think at this moment in time that Walker is, is better than Trippier, that's a great position to be in because then they can go and strengthen elsewhere. And I think that they will do that maybe with a striker 
or even a centre half, you know, to, to kind of strengthen that back three so mm. they can play a fully fledged back three. I think there's there's sort of areas that in that that Spurs squad, but without without doubt, and he's going to Man City. Look at looking at Spurs. One of the signings of the summer, in my view, will probably be Ryan Sessegnon, if, if that gets over the line, from Fulham. First time I saw him play, I had the same feeling about him as the first time I saw Deli Alli play. Mm-hmm. You know, this kid is something special. You know, it was an England under-19 game, 51 scouts there, 49 of them were there to watch him. Um, have you ever had that similar feeling about a player, and do you think he's as good as people are saying he is? Um, I, can, I can look back at... I don't know, even John Bostock, who initially first time he just he had the frame at 15 um, of a of a 21 year old and just thought he he could go places. He went he went the other way. He he made the wrong move, ironically to Spurs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, assessing your no, he looks the real deal. His progress under Jokanovic last season was fantastic. He got opportunities, whether he was playing at left back or further up the flank. They were quite a small attacking side. Um, they got a lot of small, diminutive players, very skillful players in that Fulham team. And he just fitted in. He just fitted in with the maturity of a player that's been doing it for years. 16 years old. At 16 years old, which is astonishing. Um, you wouldn't have known. You, you could watch that team. You could. You, would, you wouldn't have known he's 16. You know, he, he had the vision and the the pace and the, the power and the maturity of just, just to excel. He's destined for the Premier League, obviously, at some point. I, I hope if he goes to Spurs that he gets regular games, because that's, that's the gripe. Next season, if he stayed at Fulham for another year, having signed that first you know, professional contract, he would play you know, 40 games next season in the league games mm. plus. Tottenham, once Danny Rose comes back in, is he going to fit in at first of all at left, left back? Is, is he going to fit, fit in further up the flank? I just can't, I can't see quite how mm. he gets straight into that team. So, by all means, Spurs pursue the signing, but maybe think about loaning him back to Fulham next year to continue his development, particularly if Jukanovic is still there. Yeah, but Pochettino's way is get him in, give him a go. Yeah, I think, look, I think Fulham would like a loan back deal. Um, it's, it's purely a matter of time, isn't it, with, with Sessegnon? And I do think he'll end up at Spurs. He'll be brilliant for his development. I think he'll, he'll, he'll convince him that he can be king of the world and that basically he can play a lot of games in that first team the first season that he arrives, whether it's this summer to, to play or kind of the following year, having had a loan back. My, my instinct would tell me that it will be a straight deal and basically he'll go to, to Spurs this summer and play fair chunk of games because Pochettino does that and I think that's why it, it makes him such an outstanding manager and he's so admired and revered by young players and coaches and other managers is that basically gives those players their heads and we, we were talking earlier about kind of you know Lou Baker for example and kind of you know Tammy Abraham and stuff well look Loftus-Cheek is another great example honestly those guys are at, at Spurs they play but it's like, you know, Harry Winks is a great example at Spurs. If he was at Chelsea, I don't think he'd, he'd get the platform. I really don't. And yet at Spurs, I guarantee you, he will be a first-team regular under Pochettino because Pochettino's put his arm around him and said, you're a great player, you will play for me, you will play for Spurs. Mm. And that's the development. And he'll do exactly the same for Sessegnon. And you make them feel so good and you give them that platform and you tell them, if you make the mistake, I'm not going to bomb you. 
and basically you go and do it for me. And it's worked time and time again. And I think Spurs will... The pressure of finances means, and the new stadium means that sooner or later they will lose players like Walker. You know, next year, I think it'll be next year, they'll be entertaining huge bids for Deli Alley. They might lose players, but Pochettino, time and again, will develop those replacements and they'll be fantastic. Just as a postscript to that, um, just what a job Hugh Jennings has done at the Fulham Academy mm-hmm. as well. In the years to come, when Sessegnon, if he's at Spurs and he's excelling, we should not forget the fact that Hugh Jennings and that Fulham Academy um, had developed him from, from nothing and, and, and he's, he's a proper player. Mm. Yeah, he's got a twin brother as well, hasn't yeah, he? Yes, yeah, yes. At the other end of the strata, you know, you were in Cardiff at the weekend. We talked about what a wonderful final the Champions League final was. You look at the players on show there. Are they now out of reach of Premier League clubs? In terms of in terms of recruiting them over here, yeah. Um, well, why would you want to leave Real Madrid? <laughs> I mean, Gareth Bale summed that up in mm. the papers this morning, isn't he? He mm. said, you know, I've come here and I've won three out of four Champions Leagues. Mm. I mean, it's... Uh, there is... They, they get they get the lifestyle, they get the, the finances, they play in a team that wins every week, they don't have to exhaust themselves um, in, you know, draining games against lower mid-table teams or teams struggling against relegation because they, they batter them most weeks. Um, it is just... A wonderful life up the top, and there's no reason why they want to leave. I mean, it, Juventus again, and they're, they're virtually guaranteed Serie A every season, uh, and they're obviously getting closer and closer to to getting that Champions League. Um, the Premier the Premier League clubs can offer them the money; that's not a problem, um, and the platform over here. But if, if yeah. It would take an awful lot more than that to convince me as a Real Madrid or a Juventus oh, player that, to come over here. If yeah. you were a fringe player at Juventus, I think it, yeah. it would be a, a, obviously a, a very different proposition. But as, as Don rightly says, I mean, there was lots of talk at the back end of last week. It was almost broadsheet broad v tabloids, actually. Mm. It was basically the tabloids, including myself, saying that he, basically Bale won't start, he'll be on from the bench, and basically he's staying at Real Madrid, come what may. And the broadsheet sort of suggesting that Real Madrid would be open to it, and Gareth Bale might be thinking about it. And it's mm. like, I mean, so look, I, I just see feel... the logic of it, you see, because in terms of. In a, in a non-football sense, if we because right. you know modern football is about marketing yeah. and brand building and all that sort of lovely stuff, a move to Manchester United with their gazillion Facebook followers all yeah. around the world might add up commercially. Now, not in a yeah. football sense, but in a com- in a commercial sense. It was just it, it was just funny that what basically. Was, what was what was Bale's mood? Well, it was quite funny, actually, because in the mix zone afterwards and, uh, you know, he sort of came over to, um, you know, largely sort of at first familiar Welsh faces, you know, sort of kind of sort of knowing well and sort of thing in, in Cardiff there to see him play and then kind of us sort of English guys at the back sort of lobbing sort of questions about, are you going to come to the Premier League? And he was, sort of almost, he was almost laughing because he was going, well... Hello, I'm here, you know, it's like, I've just won the European Cup and you're saying like, you know, it's just, I find it it is bizarre that basically, I mean, he made it clear that he obviously knew he wasn't realistically, he wasn't going to start, but he's just come back from injury. Mm. He's just won another European Cup. I mean, it's just astonishing. He's been there for four years and he's now won seven trophies. He's... The third best player, paid player in Europe. 
He's revered by the Real Madrid president, you know, who loves him. Mm. He, look at it, look at when he's fully fit. Zidane plays him absolutely. He's just, you know, in, in, on top of the world. Why on earth would we think, you know, that that basically he would leave Madrid for? With the best one in the world, rainy Manchester or kind of, you know, dreary London, whatever it might be. I'm sorry, but it's just, it's Fantasy Island stuff. It really is at, at this moment in time. Look, it might be that he sort of kind of retires back here one day, kind of went on the on the wane. But I'm sorry, but Bale's in, in, in a fabulous place and he must think, what are these clowns on about? <laughs> I mean, it's not his intention to leave. And kind of, I think the Real Madrid hierarchy is then like, you know, you stay in. And as, as Ronaldo fades, he's going to be yeah. the power and the energy and the pace mm. behind it. It's just, it's, sorry, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. I think it's appropriate, Dom, that we do <laughs> dwell on Ronaldo. Mm. You know, 600 goals, 15 <laughs> trophies. <laughs> Crazy stuff. <laughs> the numbers are just astonishing. Um, 406 goals for Real Madrid or something daft. Mm. It's just... 105, is it? Champions League goals? Just daft. I, I, I was lucky enough to go to... Bayern Munich, um, Real Madrid in, was it the quarter-final or semi-final? It escapes me. Um, quarters, wasn't it? Quarters. And he, he, kept, he went into that match under pressure. He went into that match with people doubting whether he could he could do it at that level. He had a bit of a barren spell in the Champions League. He, he, the goals had, had dried up a bit since the early stage of the group, group's phase. He scored a, a double that night, a brace that night. He hasn't looked back. He scored a, semi a, a hat-trick in the semi against Atletico. Um, and then his performance on on Saturday was he was just in the right place at the right time. The finish for the first goal, I mean, no one really dwelt on that, but just pinging it first time, mm. sweeping it in um, from the edge of the area, um, well, just just superb. And he's a phenomenon. He's an absolute phenomenon. And, and uh, yeah, we're very privileged to be able to watch him play. Mm. And it also begs the question of you know the the eternal question of him and Messi. Who'd you go for? I go for Ronaldo. I mean, I go through phases of being absolutely mocked over this, but I just think if you, and, and probably rightly so, when Messi turns in some unbelievable, unplayable performances, and, and you could argue that he's a better team player, but as an individual, I just think that Ronaldo, over time, I mean, at this point in time, you'd have to say that Messi is still, you know, kind of higher up than sort of Ronaldo, simply because Ronaldo's now 32. But I think in sort of five years' time, when they're both retired, I just think that basically we'll look back and say, what have they achieved? And I think actually Ronaldo's stats, his achievements individually in the way that he lifted Portugal to, to Euros, for, for example, and his achievements, I think, also for, for Real Madrid and his ability, more than anything else in a way, to win a game of football on his own, because I think he makes that difference. And he's the first one like that since uh, Diego Maradona, in my view. To, to go and be able to, to win a game of football on their own, I just think is is amazing. And that's what, in my view, sets him apart. Messi's brilliant. But I just Premier think... League, though, has he? So. No, he can't, <laughs> do, can't, do, can't do it in a rainy night in Stoke, can he? You know, but it's just... Um, I just think Ronaldo is... I, I, in, a, in a really weird sort of way, I just think he's, he's almost like an afterthought in many people's minds, that, you know, Messi v Ronaldo. Of course it's Messi. Well, actually... Mm. I just think, look at what he's achieved. He's an amazing player. What about Real Madrid? You know, they're quite tricky to deal with. I can remember some fantastic rants by Fergie about dealing with them. They've, it looks like they've got their sights on De Gea. If you're Manchester United, you're Jose Mourinho, 
you're not going to get Bale, you're not going to get Griezmann. How do you play that situation? You probably hope that the player they cover goes down with an ankle injury that will keep him out for two to three months over the summer. What, a certain Mr. Eden Hazard? Mr. Hazard, yeah. Um, if the player's will is to leave for Real Madrid and Real Madrid want that player, then I think it only goes one way. Manchester United can, again, we, we can go back, they, they, can, they can offer the finances and they actually, at the moment, they, they, can, they can arguably say, look, we're, we're on the brink of... We're back, going back into the Champions League under Jose Mourinho. We've got a, a, a project that's, that's moving. It's going in the right direction here and we want you to be a big part of it. But if Real Madrid come calling, then, um, he would be an upgrade at, at the Bernabeu in a, in a team that is already, you know, well, yeah, Champions League three in the last four years. So um, I think that that would that would must be tempting. I, I don't know how you really deflect that, other than just to to work on the player and 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 keep trying to convince him that he's going to be playing such a key role next year. For we, going back to Hazard. Um, that, although it's never good to see a player break an ankle and and to be ruled out for 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 two to three months, even if it is over the close season, that is a very timely injury for Chelsea. It, it gives them a bit of breathing space, both in terms of of deflecting interest from Real, but also in sitting down with him. He doesn't have an agent, so sitting down with him and his solicitor, or whatever, and, and working on the new contract that will keep him there and and keep him happy for the next two, three, four years. Mm. Do you think he'll stay at Chelsea, John? I do. I, I also think, you know, for, for the reasons that Tom pointed out, but I just think, you know, if you were him, why not give it another year? I mean, he's yet, he's sort of kind of young enough in that in that sort of in career terms to, to wait. If Real Madrid really want him, then maybe it's next year. And look, maybe it will be kind of. It'll be this sort of almost the changing of the guard as sort of Ronaldo will be then, you know, a year further down the line and they'll be looking for that sprinkle of stardust. But I just think now that injury is just, you know, it's fabulous, fabulous timing. I also think with, with De Gea, De Gea is really interesting in that I think United feel that, 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 that he won't push for a move. Mm-hmm. So that he won't kick up. And I think that also goes for Hazard. I don't think that, that kind of, you know, I think Hazard in the past has been a little bit unhappy yeah, and uncertain absolutely. but I don't think he is now is he and so it's, it's kind of I think it's the same also with, with United and De Gea if, if United feel that they could maybe work, make it work for them because then they've got Romero or can get another good goalkeeper in who's kind of a slight downgrade but not too much and then also they make it work that so, so they lose De Gea but get Morata that might be an interesting merry-go-round. Varane's been mentioned as well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, look, uh, a regular with Jose. Yeah, he? well, yeah. he really likes him, doesn't he? And I must say, I, I thought the one area, sort of, with Real Madrid on on Saturday was just sometimes Varane is just a little bit clumsy with his sort of not clumsy, but kind of he's he's obviously desperate to play from from the back, and some of his passing in that, particularly in the first half, a bit under pressure, he, he lost the ball a little bit. So, and I think Ramos is just like, I mean, to put aside, he's sort of kind of cheating, but, um, but basically he's just absolutely, you know, kind of reads the situation still so well. And I think Varane, you, you can see that basically you could see Jose would be very good for him. But again, you know, go back to this thing, would he really swap sort of Real Madrid for, for Man United? But I just think if, if United could make it work for their advantage, because they're clearly after a number nine now, and if Morata is is that man, I've never quite got it with Morata. His stats are great, but he's not got that dynamic sort of kind of burst of a number nine that sort of 
other mm. other sort of strikers have. But Jose clearly knows what he's doing, and he's absolutely in for Morata. Mm. We're in almost the, well. We're we're in the city season, aren't we? Yeah. And Beppe's the, the the one that people are talking about, and you know the the numbers are going up and up and up. Mm. You know, 120 million euro. Arsenal, 100 million euros. Real or a PR bit of flimflam? <laughs> Crossy. Um, <laughs> well, I don't think it's PR. I think it's. I think it's a bit harsh to say it's PR flimflam, because I. I personally don't. I think you'd be pretty naive to make that sort of bid. Because forty million and one pounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just. I look. There's no doubt they love him, but I don't know that they've bid. I don't know that they've bid yet. But I think that there's a great story, isn't there? Last year, how they could have got him for for relative buttons. Mm. You know, yeah. on the sort of five million. Well, I think it would have been a it would have been a training compensation mm. deal, basically one of those, wouldn't it? And so, you know, it's sort of the contract wrangle and that sort of thing that basically they could have nicked him for next to nothing. But I think that I don't think they'll they'll, they'll get him. But they are in for serious players. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's PR flimflam simply because I think sort of the club was sort of well, they sort of saying, well, I'm not 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 so sure about the bid really. So. Mm. Um, Brilliant talent, isn't he? Brilliant. Oh, yeah. Who would Chelsea have got their eye on? Who, they, who, who do you expect to...? Uh, well, I expect Bakayoko to sign from, from Monaco. He's, he's got about 47 off. agents. That's the problem with that one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, they have to communicate with the right one. Um, <laughs> I think there'll be. I think United might have a sniff at him as well. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he does, because I've, I've, um, I've seen a few Monaco games this season, and he is powerful, he is strong, he was excellent against City. Um, it was pretty awful against Juventus. He was really showing up that night, but I think he he had a he'd been hit in the face in training in the week and was wearing a mask, and it was almost like it completely restricted him as well. I mean, he he was almost playing as if he didn't really know what was going on. Um, but I, maybe maybe that was the case. I mean, but let's not judge him on that performance. He's obviously a player of real potential. He's in the he's in the France France setup now. Um, so much of it hinges on what happens with Diego Costa. We all thought, anticipated him going to China. He's obviously resisted that, doesn't want to go over there now. Uh, I, I don't know where Chelsea will get similar fees for him. Um, Atletico was the name mentioned, but but and he would like to go back to Atletico. But if Antoine Griezmann doesn't leave, and you know they can't actually sign a player until January anyway, so mm. you know that 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 is dead in the water. That's just not it's not going to happen. Um, so. I can see a scenario where Costa is still at Chelsea this time next year, and we're having the same conversation then, with with you know a bit of Chinese interest flirting around, whether they can convince him to go. You know, will they sign Romelu Lukaku? Romelu Lukaku, if they haven't sold Diego Costa, probably not. Probably mm. not, um, given the amount of money. You mentioned got. Lukaku there. One of the great the Chelsea reject club, you know, mm. Kevin De Bruyne. Looks like Mohamed Salah yeah. is now going to Liverpool for thirty-five million pounds. Yeah. That good. Good business. It's hard to judge if it's if it's a Salah that that um, was tearing it up for Basel against English clubs so regularly and prompted Liverpool and Chelsea to bid for him a couple of years, about 2014. Then great, he has done well at Roma, but in a very different league, in a in a, a league without maybe the same dynamism on a weekly basis. 35 million seems steep, but then I guess it's a daft market. But you know, if, if it's a Salah that sort of was on the fringes at Chelsea and didn't really warrant inclusion in that team, didn't really fit into that team at all in any obvious way, then 
I, I don't see how it works. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange one. It has sort of piqued a bit, piqued a bit of interest, that, um, because he, he, he felt like... He, he didn't feel like a De Bruyne. De Bruyne always felt as if he had something. And Salah was... We didn't see it. We didn't see enough of it in England at all. De Bruyne, you saw flashes and you thought, OK, fair enough. And then he, it was a bit of a surprise when Chelsea let him go to Wolfsburg, but there wasn't a surprise when Chelsea let Salah go. Mm. Is it possible to get value in today's market, John? I'm thinking of someone like Asmir Begovic. Mm. £10 million pounds to Bournemouth, who've also you know, given Jermaine Defoe a three-year contract, which made my eyebrows uh, rise. Is it possible? Is that a good move, do you think, the, the Begovich one? Yeah, I do, actually. I think he's a really good goalkeeper. I'm amazed in a way that, basically, Chelsea were able to get him in the first place to, to be kind of back up. But I can see that, basically, you, you, career development, you know, and then also you've got to back yourself to kind of try, go and try and be number one. But, actually, what it's done is kind of enabled then sort of Bournemouth to come in with a... I would say relatively modest amount because I think we were sort of kind of talking and pricing him higher when he went to Chelsea. Yeah. I think he's a really good pro. I think that sort of the one area where Bournemouth really needs to strengthen, I think, is that is that back four and the goalkeeper. I think has been a big issue. I think Begovic will go in there and dramatically improve them, and I think if they can then upgrade the defence a little bit because it. That defence, that back four has almost seen them through the divisions and they've grown yeah, old gradually right. and sort of kind of together. And so I, that sort of explains why I think, you know, that was clearly in the market for, for, for John Terry as well. And if they can go and do, you know, some good business. But I do think it shows you that you can get good value if you shop wisely. And I think we, we've spoken about this before, haven't we? The Bournemouth, actually, if you look at it, they've got a patchy record, recent record and reputation. And I think that's in the one... In terms of recruitment? Yeah. Like Jordan I Jordan I bombed, where is he? You know, so brought, and it's like, kind of Eddie Howe. All those other guys that's have, the been, one black mark. have been sort of like potential, and they? even yeah. Jordan I have a lot of money, but it was potential. Begovic, you know what you're getting. Absolutely. He'll I mean, be consistent, he'll, yeah. he'll do well for them. But brilliant. don't you think that the, the mark, the, the change this summer for Bournemouth is that they're going for ready-made, yeah. proven quality. Players will walk into their Absolutely. team. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if they get if they get Begovic, they get Defoe, Terry, that's complete sea change for them mm. in terms of proven quality. Have they got any chance of getting that? That's good. Nathan, OK. I think they'll try. Well, they will try. They'll, they'll bid around £20 million for him. But weirdly, there is... For, for as long as... I think Ake would actually be quite tempted to go there and, and to play. But the, the latest noise is that the contact actually really wants Ake to stay. I think it's going to take a lot of persuasion to keep him at, at Chelsea, even as a, you know, as a Premier League winner. Um, I think he was deflated by the, uh, the number of games he played after returning from Bournemouth mid-season. I think he expected to be more involved and and to, to play more regularly. And, and it was only really in the last few weeks of the season where he, he actually got Premier League football. So it'll take a bit of persuading to keep him. But then if, if they if Bournemouth got in Ake and Begovic uh, and and Defoe, that's that, that's that's three. Along the spine of the team, mm. who would who would mm. play every week, I think, and uh, well, that's what you can do when you finish ninth in the in the Premier League, and that that they, they have the the budget to do that. Mm. Let's look at quickly the the managerial market, and let's just concentrate on something that's quite close to Dom's heart. Sean Dyche, Crystal Palace, it seems a decent fit to me. What do you think, John? I do think it's a really good fit. My, my one one thing would be, and Dom would probably hit me now, but basically, <laughs> is it a big a big enough sort of step up to kind of move across? That would be my one thing. But then Palace is, you know, I, I mean, the, 
they've got a big wage bill, they've kind of got a sort of a profile of player, they'd probably be a little bit more free in the market in terms of being able to sign bigger bigger players, and so it would give him this opportunity, Sean Dyche. But I think Sean Dyche has been absolutely outstanding for Burnley. And obviously he had probably, what was it, two years ago, he had the opportunity to maybe go Sunderland. Mm. I think Sunderland at that stage, obviously, it would have been in the Premier League, and that would have been, that would have been obviously a tangible um, step up. But I just think with Burnley, the job he's done there to kind of establish them in the Premier League has been outstanding. But he clearly wasn't their first choice, it was Marco Silva. But I actually think if they end up getting him, and I I'm not sure that, you know, it's sort of kind of completely far down the line, but I think it would be a really good appointment by Palace. And, it, you know, I don't think sometimes we, we respect our own managers, if you like, homegrown managers. And I think that he deserves one, uh, sort of deserves so much credit. Would it go down well, let's sell us part? I think so. I think so. Palace have a bit of a recent history of appointing British managers. Um, I think he, he, he does feel like an, a natural fit and it would be an opportunity for them to get some long-term stability. I, I don't think we can underestimate how disappointed the Americans in the boardroom at Palace have been and, and were to hear that Sam Allardyce was leaving. I, I think they're growing sick and tired of having to completely change everything behind the scenes on such a regular basis. Steve Parrish as well, I imagine. Mm. Uh, but Blitzer and, and Harris won't... I mean, we're talking about the entire backroom staff, again, potentially, up, upping sticks with, with Sam Allardyce. And having done that mid-season with Alan Pardew, it's becoming a bit of a joke now. Uh, so if, if Dyche comes in, it would be, as Parrish suggested, with a sort of coppel idea of let's, let's, let's go for the long term here. And I think he can build something there. Would it's, he be allowed to bring in his own staff? Or yeah. Because like, yeah. if you're talking about sort of the turnover, do, oh, yeah, do you I, have a staff then that's well, a lot of consistent? Well, weirdly, a lot of the staff that Sam brought in were, were commuting in from Wales for three or four days a week. And um, they, were, they were very much... I mean, Sammy Lee, I, I can't see Sammy Lee staying if Sam Allardyce mm. isn't there. So I, th I think he's got an opportunity there, Daesh, if he, if he gets offered that job to, to bring in his... make it his own, basically. And, and, and I think the way that he works will get the best out of... A squad that, that do things in a particular way. Sean Dyche, Crystal Palace, match made in heaven. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.